The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, England are forced to check their privilege in Prague. Is this an identity crisis? Will they fail to reach the latter stages of Euro 2020? Or, more likely, is everyone slightly overreacting? Elsewhere, Wales take two points from Slovakia and Croatia to join the two-draw cinema club, but can they clinch qualification to Euro 2020? Scotland and San Marino make an audacious bid to turn football into a water sport, and Mick McCarthy and his Republic of Ireland top their group impressively. Plus, a Premier League preview, a roundup of what's happening all over Europe, and the best or worst time to sack a manager. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm delighted to say I'm joined as ever by Mina Rizuki. How are you, Mina? I am the only one that's still around. I know. The usual gang. I know, but we've got to ring the changes, Mina. It's I important know. to welcome fresh blood into the AFC stable. Uh, one person we've got with us today for the first time in a while is Chief Sports Reporter Jeremy Wilson. What's happening, Jeremy? Uh, well, I'm pleased to be here. Good, good, good squad rotation. Yeah. Looking forward to the football tonight. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah, we're all looking forward to watching international qualifiers. Uh, <laughs> and no JJ Ball, so we need two Js to replace him. Who better than the world's greatest man, Jim White? <laughs> What's happening, Jim? Oh, my word. Am I replacing JJ? Yeah, afraid oh, so. I know nothing about tactics. <laughs> I know nothing about where you play players. Oh, no. Sorry. Sorry. We've got to argue about Pep just to keep it fresh. (laughs) Good. Let's have a Pep-free zone. It's international week after all. What about England? They lost a qualifier for the first time in 10 years uh, on Friday night in Prague. They seem to sit off the Czech Republic more than we've become accustomed to, Mina. Was this a bit of a failure in planning or preparation or tactics from Gareth Southgate's side? Obviously, I don't think that England were playing from all cylinders. And I think that the heavy rotation and I, and the fact that you sort of don't know who your fullbacks are going to be. I don't think Keane works very well together with... Um, what's his? Maguire. Maguire. That's it. Sorry. I had a brain freeze over there. <laughs> I think this is causing a little bit of problems with them. I do think the formation was very strange to go into. And I think that it made them uncomfortable. They haven't played the 4-2-3-1 in a very long time. And I think it's a particular formation that you need a lot of fluidity and understanding in between the players. Now, what was interesting is when you look at that, you thought you had four sort of attacking players with Mason Mount uh, as, a, as a man in the hole, almost. And then you have, you know, Rice and Henderson having to do so much work in midfield. I think it's unfamiliar considering they're unfamiliar set of players in the sense there's all of them are from different clubs. You have Danny Rose and Harry Kane who know each other. So there's some sort of familiarity over there. But otherwise, when you look at the way that the team is set up, you, you just don't. There isn't sort of a backbone from a club. There isn't a backbone from a team that's at the moment doing very well. There isn't sort of let's copy Liverpool's plan or let's try to play this way and have sort of a core unit from one specific club. It just seemed to be a bunch of individuals put together and I think that created problems. They looked better and more settled in a 4-3-3, but that's about all I can do on the JJ front. (laughs) I'm I'm not sure the system was at fault as much as playing Mount in the wrong place. That is if you've also got to have a issue. number 10, you've got to have a number 10, haven't you? Yeah, and who's actually very clever. Uh, yeah. And uh, it may have been better to play James Madison there, but he was too busy. 
Yeah, that was a quite remarkable story from the weekend. He pulled out of the squad and the, the England certainly made it sound like he had made the decision to pull himself out of the squad and then pictured in a casino during the match. Um, yes. Not a great look, is not it? Not a great look. Not a great look. <laughs> uh, I think Mason Mount's a really good player, a really good prospect, but I'm not sure he was right there. And that obviously caused problems in the first half, though they started really well. They scored a goal after about five minutes. Um, and uh, And I think you're right. They looked more comfortable uh, in the second half in 4-3-3, but it didn't really work, did it? They still lost. They managed to let in that second goal. Isn't it a bit weird that you sort of have Mason Mount, who's played regular on a consistent level, high-level football for two months, and then you decide to bring him in, play him out of position, and sort of almost change the team around him to accommodate his creativity in hopes that you would be really good off the ball and on the ball. I just thought that that was bizarre because it's like what you're doing is saying this is a reward for you having done really well. But now if you do badly, we're going to like criticize you and say, well, we've got to change the system. We might need to go back to three. And I thought that that was a little bit like I think England needs to figure out the identity. Are we are we going to the Euros in hopes of actually winning this or are we planning for something bigger, in which case it's going to take time to bring in the likes of Madison and Mount and actually build something? Or are we just trying to do you know, what what we did in the World Cup, which is sort of win in any way, shape or form and not necessarily need to dominate in midfield, but just make the most of our opportunities. Certainly the most urgent area of attention, it would seem, is in the defence. The, the defending for the first goal was sloppy off a set piece and then they seemed very deep for the second one and not picking up the guy who arrived quite late into the box. Um, it's a familiar tale, isn't it, Jim, that with the England team? Why can't they sort out the defence? Yeah, I think the problem also was that they weren't being very well shielded by the midfield. midfield. But uh, Maguire and Keane are too similar, I think. That's the main problem. You know, they need John Stones back and they need a, 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 a ball playing centre back. Yeah, it's been the problem. Uh, it's been the one obvious weakness in the Southgate sort of revolution over the last few years is finding the right balance. And I sort of think Jordan Henderson in the certainly at international level, he just it just sometimes if he's not got the right partner alongside him, it feels a bit slow. It feels a bit plodding in there. And 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 I think getting deciding that balance in defence, everything will then. If, that, that would be the difference between whether we can realistically challenge at the Euros or whether, because I think everything then flows system-wise um, in terms of the personnel there from from that. And that's the one weakness. And going back to what Mina was saying about the Euros, it's such, I think with the semi-finals at Wembley, the final, uh, final at Wembley, where we were in the World Cup, where we've been in the year immediately after the World Cup, it's a massive opportunity. I think... It really is about the here and now at yeah. the moment. And I don't think you've you're got Kane many and Sterling like that more or less at the top of their games at perfect ages. It does seem like it's you know not now or never, but it's such a good opportunity this next Euros, isn't it? Personally, no. I, I think that there is Sterling and Kane, and I think that it's a shame if they don't get to to, to achieve success quite swiftly. But the rest of the team, I think, is quite young. Um, I think there's still so much time to really make the most of Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, uh, all, all the players that can call them hearts on a joy, obviously, Jaden Sancho. I still think this is coming too early for them, personally speaking. And that's you can see that in the way that 
what Gary Southgate seems to be doing is he's under pressure every time there's a good youngster like um, Sacco and he's like oh maybe I should call him up or maybe I should call this one up and maybe I should create this team that's sort of a little bit like Chelsea right now that's take, making the most of all their of all their youngsters but I think for a lot of these even Jaden Sancho he's been terrific but he started off in the Bundesliga last season as a bench player eventually he got his place but he, it's still the Bundesliga which is very offensively minded it's not like he's coming up against the strongest of defences all the all day long and he's figure out, figuring out ways of, of sort of defeating them. When it comes to defensive setups, we, we keep talking about should it be Gomez, should it be like all these different players, but I think that overall there needs to be a balance there. Playing two players like Henderson and Rice, I think you need a third guy in there who, who's going to be strong on a defensive level as well. Perhaps this is where you need to copy the 4-3-3 of Liverpool, try to make it a gritty to midfield just so that it can offer a little bit more cover for the defence. The whole defensive unit needs to work as a unit and starting from the top. You can't just blame the guys at the back. And you look at them, there isn't that much quality. Stones is a better player maybe um, to what Keane is, but he has problems setting up. And he's and not, not going in the city, so. No, and he's elaborate in everything that he does. You don't look at these centre-backs and think, yeah, you've got De Ligt and, and Virgil van Dijk. You don't have Kilini and Bonucci and, and you don't have, you know, P- uh, sorry, Puyol, <laughs> yesterday year you don't have like a Ramos and a PK so that's why the unity becomes the most important thing and then when you have Kieran Trippier and other fullbacks that just charge forward then you need to have a midfield that knows how to shield and I don't think the tactics helped the other, the other thing is uh, that you know we in the last uh, couple of years and under the Southgate revolution they've done very well um but whenever they've come up against a good team they've they've not done well you know Croatia did them uh, Holland did them, Belgium did them, and you know Croatia, Holland, and Belgium are going to be in the world uh, in the Euros, along with France, Germany, and Spain. So yes, it's a great opportunity that it's going to be. I think possibly they're going to have all their group games in England as well, um, plus the, the the semi-finals and the final. I think our chances of getting to the quarterfinal are fairly limited, if we're being realistic. Yeah, there's potentially problems with the seeding as well, isn't there, depending on um, how this group ends. Of course, we expect them to qualify, but possibly not with the unblemished record it was looking like. Um, I just want to talk a bit about the mentality of the team. I wondered if this was not so much just about a tactical uh, uh, shortcoming against the Czech Republic but was it a case of complacency did they fail to adjust to you know going ahead early and then conceding almost immediately afterwards I think that it is a I think the big the big the big leap forward under Gareth Southgate has been around the mentality of the team I don't think you can under and I know I'm harking back a little bit to the World Cup but I don't think you can underestimate the difference there is now around England and how that will give England a much better chance in the major competitions than previously um, so bring it, taking that into, uh, in terms of the, I think it could be quite useful what's happened in the last few games because they were on such a good run and actually qualifications almost been so sort of straightforward that, that to have that this game, the game that was played at Southampton where it didn't really play that well, the, the, the Nations League, I think all of that, it might be just quite timely to have that at the moment. And I think there is a little bit of a danger of reading too much into the, these results where qualification is it was more or less been certain for quite a long time. I think that's I think I think you can read too much into the sort of I, th- I think a lapse mentally is is 
is forgivable and understandable. But the important thing is that the overall mentality and feeling around the, the England as a as a as a sort of thing to go off and do from your clubs is just completely different than it was five years ago. Yeah, and also I think it's up to us to not exaggerate everything that happens. I feel like you know Spain got a draw against Norway. We've seen Germany lose. We've seen all the big teams lose. And I think that it's just a case of you should ha- you should have a couple of these losses to bring you da- back down to reality to know what you have to do to realize you know where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are, how you should change going forward. I just don't know. I don't really understand the inquest. Like, it's just been three days of nonstop chat about how could they have failed. And you'd think they lost to San Marino. (laughs) I mean, Czech Republic, that team is Slavia Prague, basically. So they know each other really well. And and they all play for a team that got a point of inter in the Champions League that that made it really hard work for Borussia Dortmund to defeat them. They're not sort of just, you know, these walkovers either. They all know each other. They have a a great dressing room harmony. The two fullbacks, two midfielders all played for Slavia Prague. Um, and that whole right side that was dominating Danny Rose it plays together every day so they know each other so I feel like that makes a difference and these things can happen every team can lose yeah they did play well I wonder <coughs> if some of the tenor of that inquest is just about journalists who've been with England for all of those disappointing World Cups and it's it's just so depressing like I watched it at home on Friday night and I thought oh here we go, oh, here <laughs> we go. Such, this is such a familiar tale alone at home on a Friday night thinking oh I'll watch England that'll be nice and then being completely disappointed Disappointed, and I think that must that must just be terrible if you've travelled around with England for so many years. It just must be so familiar, and I think that comes out sometimes in the in the reporting. Yes, there's a great story that our own Jason Burt tells of uh, he went to a function with his wife, uh, and Gareth Southgate was there, and it was soon after the World Cup. And Jason's wife uh, was introduced to Gareth Southgate and she said, thank you so much. My husband didn't come back miserable from an England event for the first time in (laughs) 10 years. Um, And I think, yeah, there is a certain degree of that. There there was a sort of optimism which uh, begins to dissipate. Going back to complacency, I think one of the things, and, and, you know, I think Southgate does have issues, but I think he's a terrific coach. And one of the things about what he's done with England is, A, making it, as Jeremy said, um, a much more pleasant thing for the players to get involved in. But also there's there's no room for complacency anymore because he has changed things. I mean, you, you look at the way in which the team has developed since 2018. It's a very different team uh, from uh, the, the, the one that got to the World Cup semi-final. You know, players like... Deli Ali uh, 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 and Jesse Lingard, who looked at that time to be absolutely integral for England for the next ten years, they're not even in the squad. You know, he won't. He won't have any. I don't think he really gives grounds for complacency. Mm. But do you think there's too much changes? Like, as in, if you are a team that perhaps don't have the quality or the quality that you do have is still relatively young, do you think that maybe we should stick to sort of a foundation or? certain principles that have worked in the past so that the new ones that do come in aren't like thrown in at the deep end? Well, I mean, I, I think that in this Euro qualification, he's been developing a new squad, a different squad, and, you know, they've all had opportunities. I, su- I suspect that in, in that, there's been a, a, a process of development rather than chucking people in. I, I do think you're right, however. You know, I'm not sure about... He does seem to swap the fullbacks. I think that is a... That is one area in which English football seems to be blessed at the moment. And I'm not sure he seems to pick the best two 
that are available. But you know, you you always have complaints. About I, th- I think he had picks. slightly. I think Mina's point. He has slight. The balance of change has been a bit, and he probably would acknowledge it himself. A has pro- possibly been a bit. I mean, if you take Mason Mount as an example, he's not even playing regularly in the Premier League at the start of the season. Suddenly, he's. It's a. I mean, he every step up he's taken, he's he's excelled. But it's a. Uh, to just assume that that's going to work is, is, is quite a big leap. But you, you know, they, they haven't lost in 10 years in the qualifier, haven't they? Maybe there's <laughs> complacency in, in the selection and in how Southgate's approaching it. And maybe he's been a bit reckless not having Deli Ali in his squad, for example. I do wonder about the defence. Um, Chris Waddle made a point on Five Live at the weekend that they're almost entirely out of form, the, the, the defenders. Butland, Rose, Maguire, Keane, Kieran Trippier, perhaps not so much. I don't watch much Atletico Madrid. Uh, there's got to be an argument for, for making some changes there, right? I think that, again, for the defence, that what worries me is that there seems to be a disconnect between defence and offence. And I think that's something that he's trying to resolve. For example, I don't understand why it's so difficult on set pieces. We, we complain about Marco Silva, but then, you know, we have, we have this issue as well. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced of the quality that England have, the centre-backs. I think that where their quality is, is, is the full-backs. And the centre-back partnerships, I mean, Harry Maguire is a very good player, but yes, I do think that he's not really developing at Manchester United because they're going through a crisis. That's going to have an effect with him. It's going to have an effect when Gomez is not being played because Joel Matip is having the time of his life at the moment playing for Liverpool and doing a very good job of it. Keane might need to be dropped. <laughs> and I'm not confident of Stones' ability to do the defensive work. Yes, he can build from the back, but he, like I said, he is so prone to error that it, make, it drives me crazy watching him. And the way that they all are, I don't think from a defensive point of view there's much development or there anyone is there being trained by a, a, a coach who's going to be like, right, I'm going to take you under my wing and this is how we're going to teach you. So in terms of quality, I don't think it's there, which is why I think tactically it's important they get that right, how the team operate off the ball, which is, you know, how do they compress after they expand to attack? Can they compress? Are they good enough in the transitional phase, you know, to to just quickly lose the ball, get back into shape at the right time? How are they being, you know, the midfield needs a lot more support. And I think that's how you can help it. We will certainly get one change in the defence against Bulgaria on Monday night. Danny Rose is out with suspension. Presumably Ben Chilwell in for him. Uh, do we expect any other changes, Jim, in that team? Uh, well, I wonder whether Keane will go. The, pro- the problem there's is... There's chat about Mings, isn't there, coming in for Yeah, Keane. but the, the problem is that goes back to what Mina was saying, that you're, that, you know, you're chucking in somebody into a critical moment who's never played international football before. Well, this is the thing. It doesn't matter. Like, either stick with it and just keep developing and then say, like, you know, the Euros is going to be throwaway because what we really care about is the World Cup or we're building towards something. So we are going to try a lot of players. We are going to develop a lot of players. And we might lose certain matches, but we've got to be okay with that, the way that Chelsea said that as well on a club level. Either we do that or we say, no, actually, we're going to go gung-ho for this Euros. And that means that, you know, let's not rotate too much. Let's make certain sacrifices. Antonio Conte did that with Italy. He said, we're going to be a strong team, which means I'm leaving out Jorginho, I'm leaving out Bonaventura, I don't want creativity, I want a hard disciplined team and we're going to go that way because I want to do something in the Euros. You have to decide who you want to be. I would like to see him try and settle pretty quickly because I just think I just completely understand Mina's point about the about the fact that we can see there's the potential of more to come, especially amongst that Chelsea group. 
But I just think Sterling, Kane, how often do England have world-class players in the last 20 years? Very rarely. And, and, and we know the correlation between playing at home, which this Euro is as close as, we, as we've had to playing at home for a long time. And then when you add in the sort of momentum and feel-good that there was around the World Cup, I just feel like this is a, a big opportunity next year. Do we expect a response against Bulgaria? I think so. Uh, I mean, obviously, England uh, defeated the Czech Republic pretty heavily at Wembley. They, well, I went to see them against Bulgaria, um, and they, they they didn't look anything Bulgaria to yeah, me. Bulgaria's awful. Sorry. Um, I think they've lost. They haven't won in their last 10 games, have they? Uh, they're, uh, they're full of sort of... Uh, uh, naturalised Brazilians mm. who can't get a game for Brazil. No, Marcelino is about the only one in midfield that didn't look hideous when they faced them last <laughs> time. Um, and he's probably the only player. They've got another one going forward and they've got a 22-year-old as well going forward. Wanderson they've got, isn't Yeah, Wanderson. And then they have another one who's who's 22. I, he plays uh, in Portugal. Uh, Crower. That's, it. That's the one. Thank scored you. For, um, he scored on his debut. Uh, against Sunday, Porto, against Porto, which um, was huge. For look at this uh, but, research but, points for Jim White. But he is. Let me just say. Let me just say before we get terrified about Crower, he is on loan at Vicente from Midgetland. <laughs> so, That's so how big a player he is. <laughs> I mean, you've ruined Bulgaria. This, this feels like enormous pride. Dimitar Berbatov, he isn't. Oh, oh dear. So I, basically, I we're, we're, we're willing a Bulgaria victory into existence with this I've sort already, of chat. And yeah, I've already dismissed Kybos on England. Let's, Suddenly, um, he's going to become the most important player in Europe. All right, let's really put the Kybos on selling. What's your prediction for England at Euro 2020? Um, I think they'll get to the quarterfinals. I'm an optimist. I think they're going to reach the final, but maybe there'll be someone. I, I do worry about Jim's point. We do tend to lose to good teams when we play them. Quite, mm. quite a, quite. There's quite I, a few I've, in that yeah. tournament as well. <laughs> and, uh, but I've got, I've got a, I'm, an, uh, I'm optimistic about it. What are you saying, Mina? Oh, I mean, I don't know. This hasn't changed anything. Mm. I, I thought it would be difficult for them to reach the quarters, and I still think that. I, I mean, I look at sort of Holland and. Italy right now and Belgium and France and I'm like oh I don't know yeah it does feel like they're one unlucky draw away from football not coming home Let's move on to talk about the rest of the teams in the British Isles. Uh, Wales came back after going behind to the World Cup finalist Croatia. Uh, it now means wins in Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary will get them through, should get them through to the tournament, unless there's a shock elsewhere. Uh, Ryan Giggs under a bit of pressure, Jim, but this was a good, solid performance from Wales. Yeah, to draw at home against uh, Croatia <laughs> isn't a bad result. I mean, you know, we know where Croatia uh, 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 have been in the past. And, you know, when you've got Bale, it's going back to what Jeremy was saying, you know, you've got Kane and uh, Sterling for England. It does make a difference. Um, he, uh, Giggs has actually uh, actually thrown in young players at the deep end in a, in a way that uh, he seems to have got away with slightly more than Gareth Southgate has, particularly in his defence. Mm. Is it because um, expectations are lower, you think? I don't think they're low in Wales. I mean, there's a... I think they think this is their big chance. This is oh, their right, big yeah. chance as well, yeah. I mean, you know, they, they've done well recently, uh, Wales. And, uh, you know, last Euros was their, 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 yeah. great, their great time. Yeah, I covered. I mean, I covered Wales at the last Euros, and I think since then there's def- there was definitely a low after uh, not qualifying for the World Cup and Coleman going. And Coleman was a real galvanising 
influence around the place his pers- his personality as much as he's yeah. we can sort of pick holes in his club career uh, although he did very well at, did well at Fulham at the, most of the most of his time there he's he was perfectly suited for international management because he he was a sort of bubbly interesting personality the players loved him bale important obviously to have bale on board bale really really liked him and uh, and after he went there was a bit it, it really did feel a bit sad around the place there was something something was lost there and it's taken ryan Giggs a bit of time to and, and i think it's, it's possibly just about his, his his best result at last night but with watching them at the at the euros it was a lesson in if you're well organized you've got good good spirit there's a sort of good buzz around things and you've got a couple of players as they had in Bale and Ramsey I thought you were going to say Hal Robson Carney <laughs> particularly well Hal Robson <laughs> Carney certainly thought so anyway he was a, he was a, a slight aside on him he was he was always our sort of favourite interview because he certainly didn't lack for confidence in terms of where he was in the in the world strikers and especially <laughs> after that brilliant goal he scored against Belgium um but yeah, he's not. He's obviously not. A quite, he's not Gareth Bale. But he 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 had he had the, the 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 belief that he belonged on that stage, which was fantastic for the team at that time. And he he really thrived in in that environment. But a, a well organised team with with a couple of stars with good team spirit is hard to beat in a major tournament. And they managed it without Aaron Ramsey. Mm. There was an odd claim afterwards from Brian Giggs that Dan James, who fell to the ground quite worryingly going up for a challenge. Uh, was actually play acting and it, it did from the TV and I know you know we can't really tell anything from looking at TV it looked really bad he sort of fell to the ground and went quite limp um, James also said he didn't lose consciousness but it didn't look good you've done plenty Jeremy on um, concussions in football is it time for moments like this to be independently assessed rather than leaving it up to physios yes yeah for a long time it has been really the, the, I mean the two big things that football needs to do that it's obvious it needs to do and it will do eventually it's one of those it's almost like the goal line technology obviously a far more serious situation everybody can see it's obvious it should happen but it seems to take IFAB and FIFA a long time to do something which is obvious which is um, have have a much greater degree of independence in who makes the decisions. Doctors will privately tell you that clearly, even if with the best will in the world, there's going to be a, a indirect subconscious pressure to keep players on the pitch if you work for the the team. Obviously, it's important that they they're there because they know the players and they can speak to the independent medic. But the fi- I mean, in boxing, could you imagine if a cornerman had the final call rather than an, you had an independent doctor there? And then uh, the other thing is these concussion substitutes, which just gives you, which we see in in rugby. I understand it will probably get abused to to some point, or it could, there's a risk that it could get abused, which is a concern to football. But that's not really a particularly strong argument that because there's another rule that some footballers or some coaches might try to to manipulate to change things to their advantage that you wouldn't introduce a sort of clear health um, thing so that you can just take players off. You can give them more than an on-field assessment in all the pressure and everything that's going on. You can take them off for 10 minutes and give them a longer assessment. You still, it's still, 10 minutes is still the science of concussion it's still not long enough to really but it's much better than two or three minutes on the pitch and that's the key the key point the Dan James one was quite alarming on two whichever whichever is the 
the the truth of what happened. Either it looked like he'd been, it looked very clearly like he'd been knocked out, in which case he's had no business carrying on playing and shouldn't be playing for at least six days. Um, he did he did get up and appear to obviously passed what concussion tests there are, which are fairly limited on the pitch. And then Ryan Giggs said afterwards that he was play acting. Now, whatever the explanation, that's 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 a big problem as well, if that's the truth of the, the thing. Because if, what a if, weird thing for Giggs to and, admit to. And if you've got players doing that, then you're... Inter- if... if Doctors and referees have got to then factor in the possibility that players will play act. Then you're in dan- in a way you're you're undermining the whole concussion protocol and endangering people going forward. If people if if you're going to cry wolf over something as serious as that, so whatever the explanation, it's not it wasn't a good outcome of, of what happened. Let's uh, leave that slightly murky and unpleasant ground behind and uh, head to the year 2001, where Mick McCarthy's Ireland's top Group D. Um, <laughs> a frustrating goalless draw in Georgia for Ireland, but uh, one win sees them through. They play Switzerland next. Uh, uh, do we expect Ireland to be in Euro 2020, Jim? They, of course, will be hosting some of it. Yeah, I... I, I think they will and uh, Mick McCarthy back it's fantastic it's great (laughs) to see you know as you say it takes us back to those days when Ireland managed to um, bestride the world largely on the backs of uh, Mick finding the passports of great granddads which was always helpful But, I, I mean, I am a little bit worried in the sense that the two that they have they have to get a win against either Switzerland or who is it on if they don't Denmark right two of the higher ranked teams and if they play any way like they did against Georgia if Georgia were actually clinical or in converting their chances I mean there was no pressing game to be seen their passing game was very poor I don't know there could be a there could be reason to believe that one of those two you know they won't manage that one win that they need Scotland versus San Marino, thank goodness, was not a new worst chapter ever in the bleak story of Scottish football. Uh, Steve Clark saying he wants Scotland to aim for third in their group, modest aims, uh, and so they go into the playoffs with a bit of confidence. But did you, did you watch any of this game? Did you see how wet it was? <laughs> it was, it was yeah. awful. I don't even know how it was allowed to go on. I just think no one wanted to come back, so they're like, we're just going to continue with this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but going back to Mina's point about Ireland, uh, Scotland... Wales, uh, the issues are slightly mitigated by the fact they've got Gareth Bale. But it's it's all, uh, you know, uh, 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 the consequence of the Premier League uh, bringing in ever more players from around the world, isn't it? And the Championship now players from around the world, you know. So the the number of Irish players coming to uh, the Premier League is few and far between. And the Scots the same, you know. I know know they've obviously got Champions League uh, uh, potential with Celtic and Rangers, but there just aren't the numbers that there were. And it's, you know, it's now becoming a real struggle for these countries to uh, get through because they just haven't got the quality I'd love anymore. to see Scotland get through because I just think it's one of the, and I don't have the, unfortunately I don't have the answer to the question, but I think it's one of the most interesting questions of what happened, what's happened to Scottish football in the last 20, 30 years, where you've got those giants like Rangers and Celtic, which are still giants. If there was ever a European Super League, suddenly Rangers and Celtic would be in the top, I don't know, top eight, top six maybe more British clubs because they would be if, if you 
clubs like that or Ajax, if you put them in a Super League and they would then had the television revenue with the support they've got and the interest around them, the potential there is enormous. And the and the fact that sort of culturally football is such a big thing in Scotland, the fact that that's not translated into producing players like it like like they did previously, I think is a fascinating. Um, question of which I don't have a I've not looked into enough to sort of give an intelligent answer to it's just remarkable that they were so, such perennial qualifiers for international tournaments and it's been 20 more than 20 years now since they've look been at the players they produced in the past like great you know great footballers and you, you would have thought they would have fluked just, their way into yeah, one though just it seems the, unusual just the Premier League it's clearly that's clearly part of the answer but you know, Wales have produced some some very good footballers in the last few years, and you think, why can't what? And, and even if they've ended, they would end up coming down to to England. It, it's uh, as as a lot of them did in the in the sort of eighties. I'm, I'm not saying there's been no good footballers, but that that there hasn't been that sort of any very very few really elite footballers from from Scotland is is a, I think it's a really interesting question. Uh, and it's the, the the irony of that is it's come at the same time when Scottish coaching is now regarded as really, really top-notch. So, you know, loads of um, uh, uh, coaches from around Europe go to Scotland to do their qualifications because the coaching system's really good there. So, you know, that's another just peculiarity of it. They've got terrific coaches, but for some reason they're not getting terrific players. Is it that sort of the rest of Europe have have stepped up their game in the sense that now Iceland is somebody to worry about um, and that you have all these other teams just sort of really of Belgium coming into their own, you know, whether it's Serbia or Bosnia or Croatia, you're sort of always, bit, you know, they produce so much quality. And I don't know whether just there's just so much competition now that a lot of teams have fallen off. I mean, whenever would you ever hear of a World Cup without Italy and Holland? Yeah, yeah, sad days. Let's go back to domestic football now and look forwards to the Premier League next weekend. Manchester United versus Liverpool rather stands out on the fixture list. Is this the sort of game, Mina, where history and rivalry can galvanise a team like United who are struggling or are Liverpool just too good for any of that at the moment? Oh, it would be nice to have like something of a shock, uh, but... Uh... Just for Solskjaer, you feel so sorry for him standing there on the sidelines. But Paul Pogba's not going to come back. I think they're still going to have their problems. I, Yeah, no, I mean, Liverpool are just too good at this mm. moment in time for me to foresee any sort of shock there. What's the fan mood like at Old Trafford, Jim? Are they still on Solskjaer's side? Uh, the match-going fans uh, still sing his name. He's, he's such an a, a unimpeachable hero uh, from his playing days. But I think... He's got an issue. I think a lot of the uh, fans recognise that he, in a sense, is powerless because of the institutional problems that there are at the club. I mean, absolutely, literally, the roof is falling in. At the Arsenal game, there was so much rain coming through the roof of the South Stand that they had to move people away because there has been an institutional lack of investment into that club. Yet, on the other hand... They've got the biggest wage bill in English football last year. Normally, the biggest wage bill puts you to the top. But they're so incompetent that they came sixth with the biggest wage bill. How does that happen? And so, you know, he has got to start making this team sing. Um, And I I don't think I've been watching United for far longer than I'm prepared to admit on this (laughs) podcast. And I don't think I've ever seen such a hollow squad as they've got at the moment. Why is it now, the more... manager must have a responsibility there as well. 
why isn't there more unrest? It feels like the only sustained period when the fans turned was the yellow and green scarves uh, era. Is, is there not a sense that there should be some organisation here about exactly what you're saying, the structural problems, the clear issues? Yes, I, I, I think that Solskjaer does paper over a lot of those cracks because there's also a kind of, as there would be at many other clubs, we've got to stick behind the manager here. We've got to But it was Ferguson was in charge a, a, when it was the yellow and green scarves. Yeah, but that was a different. It was a different era. They were winning everything. It was easier. You know, this is a crisis. You've got us. You've got to stand by uh, the manager. And I. And, and uh, you know, my my fear for Solskjaer is that the 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 the, the level of institutionalised incompetence at the club is such that he will take the fall. He will be the fall guy. They'll, they'll, they'll be firing him um, rather than ever looking at their own incompetence. Well, this is why. Why don't they do the protests against Ed Woodward? You know, why don't they just go crazy and, and throw all these, you know, jets and, and planes up above saying, you know, get rid of this man? Because I would go crazy if this guy is still in power, paying all these wages, you know, giving Sanchez away for free and selling Lukaku and whoever it is. And then I don't know. Jeremy I was going to say something fairly <laughs> fairly similar that the I, I, I never thought Solskjaer was a good choice I thought it was, it was like the one inspired thing that we could say Edward did was as a stopgap and then you thought ah it got, got a bit of momentum going and he's going to properly go for Pochettino there's a there's a plan here <laughs> and and only Edward could then still make a bit of a make a mess of it and you think how did he He'd done. It had done something slightly inspired with Solskjaer, and then and then you presumed he was going to move move everything to get pay whatever to get Pochettino, as he seems to do if there's a player they want. And then he just did. And then he sort of made this terrible decision of of just got carried away with all the sort of emotion and excitement. And I'm not, you know, I said this without trying to be like I wrote, but I did. I can, I can, because you always, if you say this on Twitter, everyone would oh, it's easy <laughs> to say that now. But I wrote a piece at the time saying why why are they giving Solskjaer the, the job? I didn't. He, he was great for one one problem yeah. but he wasn't it wasn't the obvious answer for the second problems and the overall thing of Manchester United it almost seems pointless talking about Solskjaer because the the Woodward issue in terms of the transfer his job is the presumably the transfers and the selection of managers and you you would score him sort of you know what 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 can you say about that since since David Gilt went and and how the Glazers aren't looking at that fairly critically and and identifying what what seems to be the the the, the issue there is, making is, is money, right? yeah it's all fine as long as the balance sheet is mm. you know trending as in the right you're direction. Making money, yeah. yeah. Um, what about your Saints, Jeremy? Off to Wolves uh, <laughs> this week, and it's been a bit of an uneven start to their season. Yeah. Are the fans still backing Hasenhutl? I think Hasenhutl's the the is 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 popular, and he's the the reason for some optimism. I think more widely, there's there's quite a few signs of sort of concern because um, it wouldn't have made massive headlines but the director of football operations Ross Wilson left today and he's sort of he's a big player but very big player probably the biggest off field in terms of transfers manager, manager managerial selection he is the sort of um, worked under Paul Mitchell when they were very clever on the recruitment and he's grown into this bigger road was, role was the new Les Reed. Um, he's had the option to go to Rangers for a long time. He's a Scottish 
um, Scottish guy, and he's decided to go. And that the message that that sends, there's not really been a lot of investment since the Chinese um, ownership have come in. Hassan Hootel kept the club up really by getting rid of players in January. He kind of obviously felt that there were some people that weren't a great influence on the overall feel he wanted at the training ground he no one came in in january when he turned it around he just got rid of a few people um there's not really been any investment since the chinese came in so i think the the wider picture of quite a few people les reed ralph kruger and now ross wilson sort of three of the most senior off-field people have left in the last year um the chinese have not new owners have not really there doesn't seem that they're going to inject any funds. So it feels like Hassan Hutu is the, the one key that he he retains sort of interest and faith in the in the wider project because I've I, I, you know, lost a few games in a row, quite hard fixtures so far. I think the squad is okay enough to, to stay up, but the the sort of wider mood around the club, I think is, there's, there's a few, few sort of bad signals there. Trouble brewing, potentially. Listen to that lovely European music. It's the national anthem of the Mediterranean region, Mina, which can only mean it's time for a song for Europe. Pian international football. Um, France win in Iceland, uh, thanks to Olivier Giroud, but his Chelsea teammate Kante was injured in the warm-up. Are France still the best team in Europe at the moment, Mina? Um, yeah, I think so. I still think they're the best team in Europe. I mean, they obviously had to do this without Mbappe, they had to do this without Pogba and without Kante. They're still a terrifying prospect, but even they suffered defeat against Turkey, for example, in June. And tonight they play them, so I think that's going to give us even more signals whether or not Turkey is going to destroy them with a centre-back who was 20 years old, who we bought because of that, um, <laughs> and uh, in Juventus. Um, but they are a very good team. Weirdly enough, for all their... Sc- for, the, for all their beauty, they're not that concerned with necessarily always extolling the virtues of that talented squad, but more sometimes are quite cautious in the way that they play. Um, I still think they are very much other than Spain, but Spain's manager, Leicester, I, I, you trust in France. Interesting you don't mention Italy and Belgium, who are the only two sides with perfect records in qualifying. Are you just not having them? Belgium, I've never had. I've been one of the few people that has been like, I just don't get it. Like, as in, yeah, their squad is talented. Again, they don't really have a sort of legacy in Belgium. I think that makes a difference. Sorry, I know that they're quite golden generation England. It aren't is they? a golden generation. Their defense is not that great, and they've never had a great manager. And I still don't even trust in Martinez. I think that you have people that can resolve problems, like obviously Eden Hazard. But other than that, you sort of look at that team and you think it's more a bunch of individuals put into a team unit and they play very good football. But they are susceptible to a scare like Japan in the World Cup. They And, and right now, I don't know how to judge them because they're just defeating teams that are like 9-0 and, and, and they're really bad teams, you know, like Kazakhstan or whatever it is. And I'm not going to – I don't know how to judge them because Ian Martinez for me is not a problem solver. As for Italy, it's a change in culture. They've gone from being a very pragmatic team to one that now tries to dominate midfields. And when you change skin like that, you can have moments of, you know – beauty like Italy have had in their qualifying campaign but there's a potential that they don't actually have a great striker that can convert all these chances and I'm still not confident of the defence because this isn't a pragmatic team Let's stay in Italy Claudio Ranieri back in our lives again (laughs) appointed as Sampdoria manager is he well regarded in Italy or, or at least liked? 
Oh, he's totally loved, you know, much the same way that he's loved over here. But I think it's quite funny because now there's going to be a couple of memes with Eusebio Di Francesco, who's the, who was the Roma coach, and then Ranieri replaced him at Roma. And now he got the job at Sampdoria, and now Ranieri's replaced him at Sampdoria. So I just feel like there's always this shadow of Ranieri re- looming over him. Um, but he's sort of considered a safe pair of hands, a little bit old school, so never really going to be given probably a club to build stuff with. Is he Sam Aladice? Yes, <laughs> Sam Aladice. He's the guy that's always going to get the right results, but he's not necessarily going to be the guy who gives you the fantastic football that Sadi can, or that you know, or the mentality that Conte can. So he's sort of just considered, you know, like good but not for this new evolution that we're seeing in Italian football where everyone's very progressive, you see. I see, I see. Cellini, as he said, Pep's ruining Italian football. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, after a spate of sackings in the Football League this week, I want to know from each of you, when is the best time in the season to sack a manager? What do you reckon, Jim? Uh, I I did an interview with uh, Jim Bentley, who is the longest-serving manager in the Football League, 91 clubs in the Football League, longest-serving manager. He became the longest-serving manager after seven years in the job. That just speaks for how short-term it is. Seven years he became the longest-serving manager. He's been there a bit longer since then. Um, But uh, I remember uh, speaking to a manager who was out of work And he said, the time that you uh, start getting yourself on the radio, start doing punditry, start getting yourself talked about is between the two international breaks because that's when chairmen tend to sack managers. They tend to do it. It's the old burying bad news. I suspect there'll be a couple of managers sacked today. Really? Uh, Yeah, because England are playing and, you know, we can get... We can... can, Push it under the carpet and uh, Who will it be? Uh, oh, <laughs> across the football league, I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, uh, that the, the, they will, um, and then bring in someone for for the weekend. It tends to be around this time, and I think it's because a, you know, you've had a bad start. There's still time to put it right. Get a new manager in. Um, it, it also gives them time to prepare for a transfer window. So, if I was a chairman. I'd be looking to sack him about now. What do you reckon, Jeremy? It's really interesting. The logical thing, obviously, would be to do it in the summer if you actually. And I suppose you could argue that Brighton, if they, if you see problems that you think are there that no one's seen already, there's a certain. I'm not saying that particular decision was right or wrong, but there's a certain logic to to being clean about when you when you do it rather than go into a season with doubts. And it's obviously logical to do it around now so you've got the transfer window. I always think that you get that surge with a new manager. So maybe there's a there's an argument to do it quite late in a season, which is quite risky because you then get the little surge and then, then OK, you might have to regroup in the summer. Um, I don't know what they're right. They, they, I think the hallmark of a well thinking run club is probably that they will make their changes in the summer if they can but but if you're, if you're old and athletic you have to do it three or four times a year <laughs> so you can't talk about the best time of year because <laughs> it happens so often it's, it's or you have an Italian so owner punishingly cold at Boundary Park and no one wants to stay there for too long what about you Mina? 
It depends. If it's a big club, then I'd say probably now, so that the whoever comes in can create something special for the Champions League uh, knockout stages. Um, if you're a small club and you're really fighting off relegation, then maybe around February, so you can have that little lift that will push you forward. Okay. Well argued. Congratulations, Nina. You've won that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's your lot for this week. You can contact me on Twitter next week or now. Up to you. At Tom with an H Gibbs is where to go on that website. Don't forget to send us an email as well. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk Please do. We love emails. Why not? It's a treat. A treat for you. A treat for us. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. It's on Spotify. Who knew? Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 